What's going on, y'all? This is Kelly Clarkson. Welcome to Miss Into Podcast, the Kelly Clarkson fan podcast. The very first podcast dedicated to the original idol, Kelly Clarkson. Here are your hosts, Jeremy and Pam. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Miss Into Podcast, the Kelly Clarkson fan podcast. This is Jeremy. And my name is Pam. And today we are so excited. We have such a fun episode ahead of us today. We are fortunate enough to be able to talk to um, someone who has been very close with Kelly throughout her career. It is her former bassist slash sometimes still plays with her bassist, <laughs> a Peterson. Yes, we're very excited to have a on the show today. Uh, of course, if you were a fan of Kelly's from anywhere from the uh, roughly the Addicted Tour uh, through the Piece by Piece Tour, chances are you know exactly who a is because he was one of the Biggest personalities on the stage each and every night on the concert tours and uh, just all around a really funny guy, very talented guy. Uh, He, uh, as Pam said, he's the former bassist for Kelly. He's now the touring bassist for The Fray, uh, which is another band that uh, many of you are probably familiar with, having seen them with Kelly when they went out together. And uh, we're just very excited to have him on the show today. Going to talk about uh, his sort of musical background. Plus, obviously, we're going to be talking a lot about his time with Kelly Clarkson and find out more about some of the backstage shenanigans that went on and uh, musical influences, all the kind of things that you might want to know from someone who is uh, connected with Kelly out on tour. Yeah, I'm excited because we haven't heard from him in a couple of years because, as Mm -hmm. Jeremy said, he was with us during the piece by piece tour and like a little bit after that, but that was kind of it. And that, you know, piece by piece tour was already almost seven years ago, which is crazy to think about. Um, But it's cool. We have seen him pop up here, um, you know, every so often. Um, Recently he was on the Kelly Clarkson show. So we'll talk about that a bit with him. And I'm really excited. I, um, I've seen him play a bunch of times at shows before. I've never met him either virtual or in person. So I'm very <laughs> excited to like finally talk to him. And before we talk to Anar today, there was some extra Kelly news this week. We had Kelly giving us an Instagram live, giving us a little bit of an update on her life and answering some fan questions, Pam. Yeah. So she was on the Kelly Clarkson show Instagram page. It was her and Trisha and uh, they had put out a little PSA, I guess, a little call to action on their Twitter about a week or so ago um, asking, hey, do you have any questions for us for, you know, a segment for Kelly? And we later learned that this so seg- this little segment was actually for her Instagram Live. So, yeah, we did learn about a couple of things, um, some things that she wants to possibly do this year that are kind of on the horizon. She definitely did a lot of teasing. Um, but before we get to even that... Um, I think the first point to bring up, which I thought was really interesting, was someone had asked her if she would ever re-record her music. And I feel like mm-hmm. in years past, Kelly would have said absolutely not. But she said otherwise. She said absolutely. I would definitely redo some albums or maybe some of the hits and because uh, she doesn't like how some of her songs were produced, how her voice sounds. And she kind of threw a little shade at uh, a certain producer. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if she was alluding to not liking Since You've Been Gone or My Life Would Suck Without You. It could be both. I think it was probably more Since You've Been Gone. Um, Yeah. But I was like, damn. Because we knew knew that going into it that she had had a hell of a time recording that song and that she was 
you know, driven to perfection to record that. I mean, that story has been out there before. So if you know those previous stories and then you add in the comments that she made on the Instagram live, I mean, it's clear that she's talking about Dr. Luke. And also, I mean, I thought it was interesting because she wasn't going at this whole re-recording thing from the standpoint of like how Taylor Swift is doing it. She's doing it more because her voice has matured and she would love to hear what those songs would sound like now with her more mature voice 20 some odd years later. I'm interested in hearing that. But at the same time, we have sort of heard the progression of those songs because she still performs them live. They still they still sound great in concert. I would be curious if she were to put out a uh, I don't I mean, I don't even know what it would be. Uh, some kind of a you know special release where you know she re-releases the hits or does a a, a re-release of her greatest hits where I she's was, re-recorded everything. I was thinking that it could be like a greatest hits uh, revamped or something like that. But I think it could also be you know just because obviously when she's on tour, predominantly she does the hits. I think it would also be really cool to hear some of the B-side tracks that we never ever hear live. And obviously she's mm-hmm. been doing that a bit more on karaoke. So we've gotten a little bit of a taste of what that might sound like. And uh, I just, it planted a seed in all of our heads that we never really thought would happen. And I am very curious about that. Now, I I don't think that is, I definitely don't think that is one of the surprises she has coming up. Um, She alluded to having three surprises or three projects in 2022. Yeah. I mean, one of them we all sort of have known. I mean, if you've heard our interviews with Jason and our interview with uh, Aben, you know that she's working on new music and that, in fact, I think it was in Aben's interview, we knew that she had actually started to record the new album and then they kind of put a pause on it because they decided to pivot and do the Christmas project. And then we don't know if they immediately went back and started recording stuff again for the proper album or if they've just sort of like, oh, you know, we've got some stuff started. We'll come back to that. But from what we can discern from the people we've spoke to here on the podcast, we know that the new album is started. It's probably in, you know, various states of completion. You know, maybe some songs are are finished. They just need to be mastered. And there's maybe even it sounds like there's even some that are still being written and or need to be uh, recorded as well. Yeah. So she basically was like, I'm hoping to get it out this year. Um, you know, I saw a lot of people online. They were like, oh, my God, new Kelly music this year. And it's like, you know, we 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 probably will get new music this year. Um, I'm not like saying we're not going to. But she didn't guarantee me like, yep, we're going to have a new album this year. Like she didn't solidify it. So, yeah, I'm being cautiously optimistic when it comes to that. Um, it was, I did laugh a little bit when I, when I saw the reactions online, people were just freaking out going, Oh my God, we're getting a new Kelly album this year. And I wanted to just tweet at them from our podcast account be like, well, if you've been listening to our podcast, you'd know good and well that there's an album coming out this year at some point. Now that said a couple of weeks ago, I made a prediction and I think it was even when we were talking about the things that we were looking forward to this year, I made a prediction that I thought the album was going to come out in the spring and that we would maybe have a summer tour. I think I'm going to retract that prediction because the way that she spoke about the new material in her Instagram live sounds like that the album is a little further from being finished than I expected it to be at this point. So, um, so I think that we're going to have to wait probably a little bit more. Yeah. So we should probably be expecting new music at some point this year. Um, she did say though, that before new music, there was going to be something else that was going to come beforehand. 
um, mm-hmm. that people have been asking for for a while. No, like that means so many different things. So like, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I don't even know where to begin. Is it music related? Is it television related? Is it something completely different? I have no idea. Um, it's fun to speculate, but I, the possibilities are endless. Yeah. It's hard to think about, you know, all of the different things that we have been asking her to do, whether it is Broadway or whether it is, uh, you know, appearing on some sort of a, of a show. I mean, I'm now I'm sitting here wrecking my brain. I'm like, what have we asked her or wanted her to do? Um, you know, there's, there's any number of things, but she did say that people would be, uh, excited about it and that this was going to be happening before the album, which again, going back to my point before, I think that the album is going to be later in the year. Um, I'm thinking maybe it might even be a summer or fall release. So whatever this is, that's coming up. I, I don't have the foggiest idea, honestly, because at this point with her, it could be absolutely anything. Now, before we talk about kind of the the third point uh, that she mentioned, there was something that she mentioned before she kind of started a laundry list, you know, the things that she was, you know, going to be doing this year. She made sort of a a slight tease slash passing mention. And her exact quote was, there's going to be a couple of changes for me this year. That's the thing that I actually bumped on the most. And I think she's alluding to leaving the voice. She has been listening to our podcast. She knows. <laughs> no, I, th- I think it's true because I know that the voice is going to be once a year, but I don't know if I don't think they've announced which judges are going to be on in the fall. I don't think they have. They haven't. So no. I think it's a pretty safe assumption that she could be gone from the voice. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, the, the third point, the third point is a whew, it's a doozy. Something yeah. else that's really big but she can't discuss yeah what way to tease us i don't know i don't know if i had a guess or my heart maybe it's something with snl with like hosting and performing that's my dream but i don't know all right so so based off of you know all the things that people have wanted her to do and things that we have sort of speculated There are a couple of things that I think could be out there. One, Pam, I think you're right. Saturday Night Live. I think that could be a possibility that that could fit the first little hole that we have where it's something that people have been asking her to do and yet she can't say anything about it just yet. Could be the Saturday Night Live thing. The other thing um, you also touched on was uh, the book. And it's actually funny because recently I was thinking about, you know, Kelly writing a book or, you know, having somebody help her write a book about her life up to this point. And I, for some reason, the first thing I thought of was what the book could be titled. And I think if Kelly were to write a biography or an autobiography, I should say about herself, I would love to see it called. Here's the thing. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, I like that a lot. So, by the way, if you want to um, if you want to submit some ideas for what you think Kelly should call her autobiography, give us some titles. Uh, you can go at Missing to Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those. Uh, we would love to hear your ideas for what would Kelly's autobiography call, be called? I like that. Well, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> um, one other thing that I took away from the Instagram live was that um, someone asked her what her favorite karaoke that she's done so far was. And I think this one probably just came to mind because it was so recently, but 
she said, um, she used to be mine from Waitress. And she's like, I, I barely knew the song, but it's beautiful. And I literally learned it right before we performed it. I'm like, you nailed it, first of all. Like, and second of all, like, you would have never known that she barely knew the song because, like, there was a lot of emotion in that. Yeah, she, you, you would never have guessed that she just learned that song because she looked like a person who has been singing that song for years. And I was, after hearing that in the Instagram live, I was so impressed, even more so with her performance because she absolutely nailed it. I mean, you know, we just did an episode about her viral moments and I think we could add uh, that song to those viral moments because people were just absolutely going crazy over it. And to, to learn that she just learned that song, she has a very special gift, a very special musical ability that not a lot of people have who can learn songs that quickly. I mean, that is a truly impressive and uh, special gift for some person to have. Some other things that I just, I just want to go a couple of things that I wrote down from the Instagram live. First and foremost, she referred to Jason as her musical director. <laughs> I, I don't know if she's still not broken herself of that habit, but we know good and well here at missing the podcast that he is in fact, the music director of the band. Um, oh, yeah. you know, she, she talked about again, like we just said, she learns a lot of the Kellyokis now, right before she records them. She used to do rehearsals and now she's doing less of those and she's learning it right before, which again is so very impressive. I'm just, I cannot get over, um, how impressive that is. She also talked about how she wanted to do, uh, something in Spanish, uh, for Kellyoki. Cool. And she talked about that with, uh, Jesse, uh, you know what she ought to do is she ought to grab one of these songs from Encanto that are like so hot right now. Like she's been watching it like crazy with her kids. Yes. Yes. And some of those songs are, you know, partially in Spanish and the, the soundtrack is like the hottest thing in the country right now. So I say she grabs something from Encanto and, and ride that wave because that uh, is a, a banging soundtrack for sure. Uh, and then finally, my other thing that I bumped on is she, I think is now more interested in doing something along the lines of like a Super Bowl halftime. Now, I don't think that this is anything of any of the announcements that she has because they don't they don't make the Super Bowl halftime announcement until probably like October of each year. Sometimes if they nail it down pretty early, they might do it earlier, but usually it's like October or so before they announce it. So I don't think they've had conversations. I can't imagine they have had conversations thus yet for doing the Super Bowl halftime. So, uh, but that said, she did make it clear that she would be willing to do more things with, in her words, with sports ball. Uh, yeah, well, so I don't, I don't, yeah, whatever that might be. Cause she's done so much already. So I'm like, what else yeah. is there to do besides the Super Bowl? I don't know. And there's really, I mean, the only thing going on, I mean, the NFL is going to be over here in a couple of weeks and then we're going to be left with basketball and, you know, nothing with basketball is really high profile as far as, you know, singing at the all-star game or singing at the, you know, the NBA finals or anything. And then you've got baseball, but then, you know, again, nothing really she's, big with she's that performed until at the world series before. Yeah. Yeah. She's so. done the world series before. I mean, maybe the all-star game, but even that's not a, a real super duper high profile thing. So, I mean, the only thing I can see her really doing that super duper high profile would be something on the worldwide stage for soccer or with American football. So I don't know, but she sounds like she's up for it. She suddenly has a newfound love of football. 
Uh, but either way, uh, we did learn a lot of stuff from the Instagram Live, and it's going to be a lot of fun over the course of the coming weeks and even probably months to speculate what some of these things are. But Pam, if I if I had to throw out some guesses, I would say that uh, your guess of Saturday Night Live is a, a pretty solid good guess. I like the idea of maybe getting surprised with uh, a limited run on Broadway. Maybe she's going to do some sort of a, you know, she's going to kick off a show and then she's going to hand it off to somebody else after Tony Award season uh, voting is over. Uh, and then maybe it could be a book as well. Those are kind of some of uh, mine. So lots of things in New York. So I'm down. <laughs> yes. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm really excited to see what 2022 brings. We're only about two weeks or so into the year. And she's already given us a lot of little tidbits and hints, and I'm super excited. He is the uh, former bassist for Kelly Clarkson. Now you can see him on stage with the fray. He is our friend Anar Peterson. My friend, welcome. All right. Thanks. That's a good intro. Explosions <laughs> 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 or something. I know. Woo! We need to have a lot of py- a lot of pyro going on back here. Yeah, who's your who's your guest back with you? This is my my dog Boba. She's uh she's a little puppy, and as you can see, wants to play. Oh my gosh. I'm obsessed with her. She's adorable. <laughs> so guys, if, if you hear like a squeaking or a bark in the background, it is not Anar. It is oh, it might be. That's Boba. <laughs> uh, well, Anar, we are so glad to have you uh, on the podcast today. And I mean, I guess first and foremost, you know, we want to kind of take it back to the beginning. Uh, you're obviously a stellar bassist. Is that the first instrument that you started with or how did you first get into your love of music? Uh, you know, uh, the first thing I wanted to do, I think it's kind of common with everybody. Like you want to play drums, you know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah. So that's what the first thing yeah. I started doing. I got my, my grandfather, one of my grandfathers, uh, was a Dixieland drummer. Nice. Whoa. So when I was like uh, a little kid, he gave me his old drum set, which I destroyed. And then years later, <laughs> Once I knew what things were, turns out it's like a pre-World War II, 1938 Gretsch kit. Now it's an art piece um, in my house. <laughs> but no, you know, that's what I started doing. I was just, I just, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to know how every, everything worked. I was just interested in whatever. But yeah. I'll tell you what, to be honest, the reason why I moved from the drums to something else had a whole lot more to do with uh, my need for attention. And I <laughs> Yeah, drummers front, are back there. You know, yes. I wanted to be the one running around up front. So anyway, but but really just the path to 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 bass and to all of it was more just by just not by accident, but just by being somebody that was like willing to just say like, oh, yeah, I, I, I play that because some band was looking for a bass player. I didn't know. I didn't play bass. But yeah. All right. You know, yeah, I do that. <laughs> figure it out, you know. <laughs> so have you like actually like sat down and played drums like since or like can you if someone were to be like hey anr can you like play drums for us like would you be able to oh yeah i mean in, in fact like i actually like the last few years um well when i moved to la um back in like the early 2000s um one of the fun parts of that was you know i'm meeting a lot of new people and they don't necessarily know my background so I did the same thing then later in life, like, oh, you need a drummer? Yeah. And I played a couple of, I played, you know, some, some drum gigs when I was out there. But now I, I actually, you know, I play a lot more. Um, and I do, I'm, I'm, I've kind of transitioned a little bit. Half my time is in the studio and half my time is on the road now. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'll play drums every now and then. Um, now, you know, 
it needs to be something that is, uh, you know, that I can handle. Um, <laughs> but it's never been something that I haven't done. I've always had a drum set. I've always had drums in my, in my house or in the rehearsal place. And, you know, being in bands, you know, I, you know, having two drums and I'm left-handed. So an old, uh, old band that, that I had like in the nineties, um, one thing that the drummer and I would do was set up drums facing each other. And so since I'm a lefty and most other people are righties, we're mirror images when you're looking at each other. So it's fun to, yeah. to play together. So anyway, I, I still love the drums. That was my first thing, but, but also, but, but bass is what I really ended up like falling like in love with them, finding like, wow, I can kind of like, you know, really fit a niche here. Um, and I'm fascinated by like cool bass lines, you know, um, and how much those things do to songs that, you know, uh, for just the impact of them and, and, and how, you know, how they trans, how it translates, like they say, it, it's the, it's the bridge between the melody and the, and the rhythm. And it's fun. Sure. Being, yeah. It's fun being that, that person, you know, I don't know. I'm not a musician myself. I work in like the business side of it, but I don't know the actual musical, whatever, but I think it's maybe rare, maybe not from what I've seen when people can just kind of bounce around and be like, Hey, I need you to play this today. Hey, I need, I need you to do that today. But like, um, did you always feel like when you were like growing up because you come from such a musical background, like that you were just surrounded by all different instruments that like, this is what you wanted to do no matter what capacity you just was like, I want to play. Yeah. Kind of, I mean, you know, I, I think my, 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 my strengths, a lot of the reason why I was in Kelly's band for so long, is that it wasn't necessarily being a musician, but it was being a performer. Um, mm -hmm. I like, you know, now I'm more behind the scenes, which I love. Now I love crafting songs and working with people in the studio and doing those things. But, but before it was all about like just the visceral experience, like, like being out there. Um, so, you know, that's why it was just, it was, it was something that I was drawn to. It was something that kind of felt natural. I have musicians in my family. And so, you know, I had enough coordination and a good enough ear um, and just the natural curiosity to understand it, things that I was interested in. Like when I was a kid, like I would take a pipe apart my, my bicycle every Saturday for a long time for no reason under uh, accepted just to understand all of it and put it back together you know i still play, wow. play with legos like my son got me a seinfeld lego set for christmas amazing amazing nice so there's that part of me that just those things gelled and music was something that like i i, I remember just being real sort of forensic with it even as a as a kid um you know trying to play with like Husky pencils and my mom's Avon box. She was an Avon lady, you know, uh, playing Kiss records and stuff and whatever else, and like really trying to understand, like, oh, it's his foot is doing this, his hands are doing this. Understanding, oh, that's one guitar player, that's another. That stuff was just really interesting. So I just wanted to to try my hand at all of it, and luckily yeah. one of one of them started paying the bills at at one point, you know. But 
I'm I'm uh, I'm currently reading Dave Grohl's new book, and I, I'm only like 50 pages into it. But he had a similar thing when he was younger. He couldn't afford the drum set, so he would just take some pillows. He he took yeah. some sticks, and he would. But of course, when he had his first lesson, he found out he was holding the sticks backwards. But he awesome. was like, "I don't care. I'm still doing." <laughs> yeah, it was, it was amazing. Um, I just wanted to, this is really stupid, but as soon as you said Seinfeld, I'm like, "Are you a huge Seinfeld fan because of the bass lines?" It's that great synth baseline. So awesome. It's um, the best. It's the best. <laughs> no, that's like one of the greatest shows ever. It's so good. And it's it's amazing. Now, that was my son who just turned 13. He's super into it. So, and it's, you know, you can, the whole, se- all the seasons are on Netflix. So. Oh yes. I've watched it all now. <laughs> yeah. That was really like, you know, the, the, if I, I was either gonna be you know i was always interested in in comedy i was always interested in music and i was always interested in video games um so and i have a a pass with video games as well um and kind of a current app like i'm i'm at this weekend i'm going to be putting together a tune for uh for a video slot machine um nice that's so cool (laughs) that's awesome i do funky stuff like that every now and then you know so it's just you know I, i try to just you know it's a constant hustle no matter what. So, um, yeah, that's, that's part of the adventure. <laughs> now, Aynar, you and I are not terribly too far apart in age. And so like, you're obviously, no way, uh, you're not 51. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm, I'm in my mid, I'm in my mid forties. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we're not terribly far apart. Yeah. So that, I mean, you and I were, you know, kids of the eighties and the nineties, like who were some of the bands that like you sort of listened to that kind of became your early inspirations? Um, like super early inspiration, like the thing, like immediately that I was like, what's this, um, was kiss, um, 1977. I'm seven years old. I'm in Pennsylvania visiting my godfather. And there was these kids across the street that were like, uh, three kids, three boys that lived in this house. And one was my age, one was older, one was younger. And dude, the older kid came out with the rock and roll over shirt when I met him. And I and I and that was at the point in your life, right? Where like all of a sudden you realize all the lies you've been told. <laughs> Superheroes aren't real, it's just comic books. So anyway, so that summer I was introduced to something that was, you know, I already liked music. I was already jamming the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack at home. My parents nice. were big music fans, you know, and Fleetwood Mac and stuff, but it was that at that age that was like, man, this is like, this is something else. They're superheroes, but with guitars and like screaming and fire and spitting blood. And this is amazing. (laughs) So anyway, um, that was just a big, like, what is this moment? But then, you know, I remember when I was 10, uh, the pretenders first record, which to me is perfect. Um, that's my desert island record, The Pretenders. Nice. And it was, and it was being in the a, a, a child of of MTV. I was in middle school when MTV came out, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, the police that was big. Um, you know, it was U two is part of my generation. I, you know, Boy came out when I was twelve. Um, yeah. So all of that stuff, um, and older brothers of friends, you know, being like, oh, you know, check this out. This is cool. You know, you got to stop listening to Boston. You got to listen to Zeppelin or whatever, you know, <laughs> um, and all of that. And uh, and so, yeah, it was it was that early MTV stuff. And then, you know, I turned 19 when 
grunge hit when uh, Alice in Chains and Nirvana and Soundgarden and all that stuff was coming out. And that that happening at a time when, you know, formative time in a, everybody's life, you get out of high school, you start tasting things for yourself for, without being told what you're supposed to think about them. And, 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 and that struck a chord for me, that, that sort of outlook, that sort of like getting away from the hairspray and everything else that I, I giant, <laughs> hair and, you know, wearing funny pants and everything else. But then that sort of like, just a more of a heartfelt sentiment, more of a, th- of a thought-based, heavy approach to music was real inspiring. And, and that's when I really made the decision to like, you know, crash or burn, you know, or live or die. This is where I'm going. Well, before we get to, you know, sort of your time with Kelly Clarkson, we know that you said before that you were into music and you were also into comedy and you had a stint with something that many people might be familiar with, and that was the Dan Band. Oh, dude. I I love that. Man, <laughs> I tell you what, those are some of my favorite people in the world. And that was that was such a great thing that happened to me. Like, well, first of all, like you guys like saw the old the whatever the old school and I yeah. fucking need you now to not, like that. Yeah. It's, that's ridiculous. So anyway. I was starting to think this is like 2003. I think I was like, it was in my head, you know, band I was in previously record deal with Electra sort of crashed and burned. And so anyway, circumstances happened with that. And I was like, you know, considering moving to LA, some friends had moved to LA. were doing well. Jimmy Messer, who would end up be being uh, one of the key guys to get me in the Kelly gig. Um, he and I were in that band that crashed and burned on Electra. Um, right. Okay. So anyway, um, I was thinking about moving and it was South by Southwest. The, one of the guys that engineered it was in town. He called me. He was like, hey, I made, I, I produced this live record called the Dan Band. He was like, you got to come see it. They're doing South by Southwest. So I went and saw it. Lost my mind. Funniest thing ever. <laughs> so fast forward to like a few months later, I moved to L.A., and that same guy, Chris Fudrich, the my engineer friend, um, producer friend, he was like, dude, Dan Band's looking for a bass player. They're going on their first tour ever because McGee just did a, a, a Bravo shot, a Bravo special and a DVD for home, old schools coming out, blah, blah. They've been looking at guys for the last two days. They can't find anybody. If you can get there in two hours, like whatever. So it was great. <laughs> and it was my best audition ever. Um, and it had nothing to do with me playing, it had everything to do with oh. me, um, walking in and just like flattening the music stand that was there in the area and put my water and my keys and everything else on it and just going like, what do you guys want to do? I mean, I feel like part of the audition would have been like just comedic timing on everything. Am I wrong? Uh, my, well, and, and yeah, the thing, yeah, like on the oh, music, the whole package, like musically that gig was pretty tough. Like. Cause it's all covers, right? But hilarious and real dirty, but done real fast. So it's like yeah. songs with like already killer, super killer bass lines, but like twice the speed. Um, but man, that first tour that I did with them, uh, they'd never been on the road. They're all actors, you know, the, the main three guys. Um, that was the first time they've done oh, anything like I that. I didn't realize that. Okay. That ma- okay, it makes more yeah. sense now. Um, it was more of a musical theater kind of thing. 
But if you've never seen them live, stop whatever you're doing. Get on a plane, like look at where they're playing. It's the funniest thing. Um, Dan is incredible. Most of the show inside of the music is him just like tearing people apart in the, in the crowd and they love it. It's the best and it's, it's dirty, but it's, but it's, but it's all, you know, there's a reason why it's all female songs of empowerment. Um, Cause it's a, a strong message, but it also yeah. drives the message forward to show how dumb dudes can be with this idiot <laughs> dressed like a car mechanic, um, misinterpreting all the things that are happening. And it's just, it's just great. And the two backup guys who do deadpan and swinging from ropes and it's insane. Um, so those guys kept me alive when I first moved to LA. I, I was there for like, I don't know, a month before I got that gig. So Jimmy, uh, Jimmy and you were in a band together yeah. and then he, he calls you one day and he's like, Hey, we got a spot open on this Kelly Clarkson tour. I mean, I don't know if it was as simple as that, or was it more complicated when you first joined up with Kelly? No, it was, it was kind of that simple. Um, Jason keyboard player, MD yep. Kelly. Yep. At the time, um, he had a, uh, he was, he had a studio in Pasadena called Mower um, and him and my roommate and another guy, my roommate, Miles Wilson, and uh, who now, who's been, he's since uh, works for the Pixies, his front house for Pixies. Um, oh, awesome. And then another buddy of his, Paul Fig, who's uh, a producer, um, I think he might've done the last like Alice in Chains record or some, he did something cool. Um, Anyways, those guys had this studio. And so I was just there all the time hanging out. I didn't really know Jason that that well. Um, but uh, but yeah, that came up because they had just toured for like two years on the breakaway record. Mm-hmm. Worked their butts off. Went from van to like bus, from club to stadium status over two years. Yeah. And then they thought it was it was done. It was over it was, and, and it was done. They were time to move on. So Derek and Al um, took a note, took just were like, all right, we're done with that gig. Let's go find another gig. So they took another gig. Well, then uh, Ford Motor Company came to Kelly's people and were like, hey, we want to give you this big box of money to go back out on the road for another <laughs> I remember, 10 or 12 weeks. To, oh, gosh. Uh, to support the, to help sell the new Ford Focus, right? They're going to give, it was the, the Addicted Tour, was my first tour, and they were going to give it yep. Ford Focus every night, and it was amphitheaters all over in the summer. And they had like three weeks. Um, so they didn't have a drum. Wait, it was, the, it was that last minute to, to like prep? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. wow. Uh, oh it might have been a month. Um, that's still, that's like very... For touring logistics. Yeah. That's, well, that's you know, they just, just come off the road. Yeah. Um, so th- I'm sure they just kind of figured, well, fine, we'll just pack up and get back out. But they, they, they didn't have a drummer, didn't have a bass player, and were short a guitar player because that's when she famously fired. Um, yes. <laughs> what's his name in D- Ireland? Dwayne. Wait, yeah. So that was, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah. So Jason basically you know, long story short, just turned to, you know, they were like, well, let's get that Aben guy that was hanging out because he was in the opening band on the previous tour. Yeah. 
let's get him. They hired Zach Alford um, on drums, who I remember from the Love Shack B-52s video playing drums. And he's been on all kinds of, you know, Bowie records and everything else. The dude's like, I was freaking out when I realized that he was going to be the drummer. Um, but anyway, and then Jason just kind of like turned to, you know, Jimmy was like, hey, what's, isn't your friend that's always hanging out at the studio? Like, is that the guy that used to be in a band with? He was like, yeah, he was like, think he would want to do it. So they called me and yeah, it was just like, hey, we need somebody for this tour. So, you know, so we actually rehearsed for two weeks at that studio at Mower, just the band. Um, and then Kelly came in for like the last few days. And then we, you know, got on a plane and went to the to wherever the first venue was, West Palm Beach, Florida, I think, and rehearsed there for uh, for like three or four nights uh, at the height of termite season. And it was <laughs> oh at my God. peak the night of the show. And there must have been a million termites flying around the whole thing. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. So, yeah, that that was one of those like, you know, we need somebody like I just happened to be in the room, so to speak, you know. So we've uh, and we've had conversations with both Jason and Aben uh, about, you know, touring life. And, you know, the thing that they sort of both mentioned is that it really does turn into. And I know that this is the case with just about any other band that goes out on tour. But, you know, it really does turn into a family. And, you know, we we sort of look at that. You you were sort of there during the, the glory days yeah. of when a lot of people really think of, you know, the all stars of Kelly's bands that she has had over the course of her career, you know, they really look to those, those bands, those, those lineups when, when you guys were doing sort of, you know, the addicted tour and then the, my December tour and the all I ever wanted tour, uh, you know, it's, it's you, it's Aben, it's Corey, uh, you know, obviously Jason and, and, you know, Jill and Kate and everybody, um, what was it like sort of, you know, becoming a part of that family as you guys kind of did tour after tour? I mean, it, it's great. And, you know, like there's two things that I that I actually like the most out of just this choice of life. Um, you know, obviously, like like I said before, like I love attention. Um, <laughs> so you know, walking out under lights and with twenty thousand people screaming at you, no place like home. You know. Um, yeah. But the thing that I like more than that, um, and always have um is i like the off stage stuff even more i love like rehearsal um i love pouring over that just with a group of people like trying to like you know working on working on your 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 jumpers like working on your your place like working on everything becoming a uh an instinctual uh force um and i love the like traveling whatever it is, whether it's like four dudes in a van or like, you know, 50 people on like 12 buses, like, but just that sort of, I really love that. And that was a group of people um, that uh, were just fun to be around, you know? So, and Kelly was well, one, one thing about Kelly that um, I'm sure they mentioned, um, she was always really good about like breaking the monotony. Um, and throwing in some fun things um, because yeah, it's it, it, sometimes it's hard. It's weird to hear it come out of my mouth and I don't mean it the wrong way, but, um, but you know, 
yes, you're playing in front of like giant crowds and it's a stadium and it's all these bucket list things. And yes, I appreciate and like cherish all of those things, but it still is the same thing every day. It's still, you're waking up on concrete behind a, a thing with a bunch of trucks and you know, every, everything's kind of exactly the same, but just a little bit different. Like the arrow to go to catering yeah. goes left in this building and it goes right in this <laughs> building, but the same amount of steps. Um, and so, yeah. you know, um, having a group of people that you like being around um, uh, helps a whole lot, especially being stuck on a tube with 12 people for months on end. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all that stuff that really, I really love. Um, so I don't know if I'm answering the question or. Uh, no, you're but, good. But, I yeah. feel like I, I've, this is not to be a whatever, but like I've been on the road a bit with some of my clients, but like not nearly as long as you've been on, like, you know, like a two months at a time. Like I, I've done like, you know, three weeks at a time and three weeks is still a lot. And I think what a lot of people who just attend concerts don't understand, they're like, they probably assume I don't want to assume, but like they probably assume like the artists they rehearse and then they have their show and then they go to the hotel and they, you know, they travel and they, it's, I mean, yes, it's nice and you could definitely get to go to a lot of places, but there's often times when you're in cities and you're just in the bus, you're in the hotel, you don't do anything. And it can kind of, even though, even though you're constantly surrounded by people, it can also be extremely draining and lonely as well. So it's, I mean, were there any ways that, um, you felt like being on the road, like, I don't really know where I'm getting at with this, but just like some memories that have been tried that have been able to help you like kind of get through that monotony, like, yeah, well, you know, break it up. I appreciate, I appreciate what you're saying too, because, because yeah, it's, it's not easy um, to uh, sort of uh, understand, um, I guess that you're traveling, but you're not on vacation. Right. Exactly. You know, like um, there's no things to check off while I'm here in, you know, Detroit, because I'm only going to be here for like we got here at, you know, 2 p.m. We're playing at nine and the bus rolls at one and I'm not leaving the back of the venue. We're not even going to a hotel tonight. Just get back on the bus. So. So, yeah, when you put your mind in the fact that like you're not on vacation um, and so. But in the but in the limited times, maybe you got a night off. Maybe you're you get to be in a hotel. Maybe you get to wake up and like hang out in the place. I really like the fact that you're not on vacation. You don't have a list of things to check off, and so you're kind of limited to doing one thing, and that is just trying to exist as a person who lives in this city. Um, no, you're like you got a per diem, and you got you know the first yeah. thing you're gonna do is like spend all your money, like just being bored. So I've done that, (laughs) you know, my days off, everyone's days off usually involve like trying to find a fluff and fold somewhere because you got a bunch of laundry that's been piling up for the last. If you have, if you, if you have a venue or a hotel with laundry, it is the biggest godsend, but it is the rarest thing. But I, but I, (laughs) I started to really get into really enjoying like, okay, if I lived here, what would I eat? you know, what would I go look for? I'm looking for something cheap to eat for lunch. That's not going to kill me. Um, <laughs> I, I need, I need toothpaste. I need all those things. So just kind of like trying to, uh, trying to just be a person living in the city today is great. Um, 
but everybody did have it's uh, you know most people do have little things to keep them occupied um i brought golf clubs um interesting can you elaborate on that well um you know uh it was actually after the my first tour with with her with with on the addicted tour that i realized like okay well when you know most and those were amphitheaters right that was summer sheds right so most of those places are on the outskirts of town. So when you're bringing right, those yeah. things, like you're rarely even staying. You're rarely even within like a decent you're like tw- cab ride. You're like 20 miles. To a, to yeah. a street, you know, or to some sort of like hip area of whatever town you're in. Um, and there's usually all, always a lot of space around those things. But there's a few venues that actually... There's a place in Pittsburgh, the shed in Pittsburgh. Can't remember the name of it. Um, but where the ch- buses and trucks park, there's a man-made lake that's about, I don't know, 250 yards uh, across with a, with a wooden AstroTurf island in the middle and a flagpole. Nice. Up. Nice. And they scuba dive the lake like once a week and you they sell you balls at this little thing and if you don't have clubs they'll sell you clubs and you just hit off a little mat into the thing um so anyway i realized that like well and there's golf courses everywhere and when you play bass for kelly clarkson and you're looking for a tea time and maybe looking to like you know have a thrifty day on the course you know you can exchange tickets for uh you know have a thrifty uh... way to play golf um yeah that's amazing <laughs> uh, which also led yeah. to like the the honda civic tour of 2013 with rune five being one of my favorite tours for that reason um and it was that pittsburgh uh venue that sort of brought this bromance together between uh me and uh matt the drummer sam the utility guy adam uh sean the tour manager that whole that whole the crew uh, are golf freaks. I was hitting balls oh. in, in that venue at like eight o'clock in the morning, and then <laughs> and then I hear like dude, and I turn around and it's Adam Levine. He was like, I didn't know this was here, and I was, I was like, whoa. Um, and so introduce ourselves. And like, hey, can I can I hit? And I was like, here. And he hit a couple of balls. He was like, man, this is great. Come here. And we go around to their backline truck, and he was like, check it out. And it was like. 13 14 golf bags and he of goes, course oh, man <laughs> he goes does anybody else play golf in your uh, in y'all's band and i was like no just me and he was like well you're gonna have some fun on this tour <laughs> oh, I love that. waking up i get a text like you know get in the van we're going or get like you know meet us at our hotel at you know eight o'clock we're going and five of us would just go and and play that's so, awesome. but, but but back to back to your your question though that answers me but that also goes back to what i was saying about kelly being good about breaking the monotony right um the fray tour was a great example that was like was that all everyone maybe i don't know it was, uh, a little later than that it was stronger but, i think yeah. oh, was it stronger i think so yeah there well, were a bunch of tours for then that was a yeah. summer thing amphitheaters as well hot parking lots and uh she and the phrase started kind of having these fun like competitions and one of them was was with um like bouncy houses and water slides um 
So, That's amazing. Yeah. You know, she would do, we would do things like, you know, the whole crew and everybody would like go like bowling or like, you know, do something crazy, like on a day off, you know, if we're kind of in the middle of something, we might go, Yeah, we went to like, not Mount Shasta. We went to, um, it was just like cabins around a lake. Um, and we did that for like two days, you know, in between. Yeah. So yeah. So that was. Cause it's, good. cause it's nice because I feel like obviously the tour life there's a lot of people on it and you're constantly around each other again it's great because you know it's always nice to meet, be friends with people and meet people but you also definitely need your alone time so i'm glad yeah. you found something that well it did start off as alone time but then it branched off into you know you finding people who have the same hobby as you but it, it's cool because the road life can be tough it really can be again it people think it's the most like glamorous thing which some yeah, ways it can not. be but it's, it's not. a very a very idle experience and so yeah. you can you know you can empathize with with people who um you know have allowed that to to take them down sort of a dark path i mean yeah. you know because yeah you're you know you're in a you're in an environment where you know as long as you don't screw up the show you can kind of do whatever you want and it's also such like a such like a peak like you're your few hours on stage like you're on like a high there yeah. and then the rest of it can be a little just yeah like so, level you know you gotta you gotta watch like you know you gotta watch you gotta you gotta watch how your limits uh, yeah. allow your limits to like to move um because yeah you are in this environment where some rules don't necessarily a- apply um yep so like you can drink at work wow that's really cool like Like, oh man this must be awesome like yeah but you know you have to be good on stage you gotta do that (laughs) and you also can't be like you know puking on people on the bus when you're trying to sleep (laughs) uh well anar you were uh you were a part of kelly's crew kind of at the beginning when they started to do more and more fan requests and they sort of started to set up or change up the set list each and every night. Can you talk about what it was like to have to learn a new song for every city that you stopped in? That was great. Back to breaking the monotony. Like that was something that we actually like looked forward to every day. Um, what's going to be the song today? You know, the only, the only hard part about that was, you know, uh, whether or not we would find out um, before we actually had sound check. Um Oh no! Um, Are you serious? So, but but you know. Oh my god! <laughs> the, the upside is, you know, um, most of the songs that you know fans are, are requesting covers. Um, so most of the things that they're requesting, you already have like a, a an idea of what you already have some familiarity with that. You can you can hum it. So right. if you can hum it already, you know what's coming in your mind. Well, it's easier to you know figure it out. Um, the ones that were kind of difficult were a couple of times we would have, um, I can't remember what tour it was. We would do a karaoke like thing, but one tour we had, we actually had, um, uh, local artists that Kelly would pick. Oh, that's right. Now those were a little bit harder, but no, that was those, that was always really fun. And again, just something new is going to be different about every day. Um, because you know a a a pop show you know you you are doing the same show every night um so having that again kept it fresh you know i think and it was fun well 
in one of the uh, one of the nights where you kind of got the night off from the the cover itself, but yet you still had to participate <laughs> is a video going. that we is a video that we all hold near and dear to our hearts. Can you Dude. talk about your mad dancing skills to no scrubs? Okay, well this goes back to the damn band. Uh, I was I was thinking yeah. about that when you're talking about the damn band. So it goes back to the damn band and goes back to another thing about Kelly that um that I that's I really like. Um even when it's aimed at me. So yeah, that was scrubs. They decided to just do it kind of broken down. And so, you know, during sound check, they're working on it. <clears throat> and I'm standing on the wings with the guitar tech and whoever, I think it was Mark, just over there just being an idiot, right? You know, stupid. But they're doing scrubs. So it struck me because the damn band has scrubs as part of their their set. And it's one of the it's one of my favorite as- aspects of their choreography. That's just so. Anyway, I'm doing that on the side of the stage, and they're laughing. Kelly, as she so wisely does from time to time, just kind of vaulted that information. And so later in the show, she just that was un. un- I didn't know that was going to happen. Nobody knew that was going to happen. She just decided, like at that moment, all right, Mr. Funny Guy. <laughs> I'm gonna call you out in front of whatever it was, fifteen thousand people, and call your bluff. Um, so she did, and she inter- it was hilarious. I'd like to introduce, like you know, been working really hard on this or whatever. Like, <laughs> These are practicing for a week. Practicing for a week, yeah. And so, and then yeah, I came out. You know, I got in between her and the microphone, and you know, did the did the genie arms thing, and. I even threw in the the fake stairs behind the couch. I think, it, depending on <laughs> anyway, it was hilarious. But you know, what my favorite th- part about that is, is in the video in the comments, the people that are like, "I don't know what's up with Kelly, but that is the worst backup dancer I've ever seen." Like, oh my oh, god, they thought you were real. <laughs> it's serious. That's the best. But no, that was that was awesome, and that was a that was another fun part of that gig. Um, and no, no tour that this happened more than the addicted tour, but, it, but it always happened pranks. Um, yes, it was a big part. And, and most there's every tour ended with a show where the crowd got to be involved and see crazy pranks, but there's usually something happening on stage. Um, in those days, most nights, somebody really messed with in some way, um, <laughs> that the crowd is unaware of. Um, so it was really fun. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk about that? Cause I feel like, yeah, I feel like, especially in the Kelly fans, like we all knew that the last show was, there was something yeah. that was going to happen. I actually, one of the last tours, um, I went down to like, I'm in, I'm in Jersey, but I went down to like South Carolina and I was just like, it's a Saturday. Screw yeah. it. Why not go to the last show? And I was like, it's the last show. I want to see what shenanigans happen. And of course, like there was a ton of shit that happened. It was great. But yeah, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like how did, what, what exactly happened? Or like, how did it come up? Like, was it just random? Did the, did the whole band come together and think of stuff? Because you not only pranked yourself, but you also would prank okay. the acts you were on the and road. Yeah. Yeah. So that stuff, like final show stuff. That's all stuff that we like, we talk about. You strategize. We, we strategize. Yeah. Like. Like with Maroon, you know, we took probably the week before every now and then with uh, Mortimer Wallace, our uh, wardrobe uh, person at that point, 
um, she was in charge of teaching all of us the uh, dance from moves like Jagger from the video <laughs> every day for a week in secret, you know, away from Maroon 5. And then, yeah, and the plan was <clears throat> for all of us to dress dresses and then just go out, come out behind Adam so he wouldn't see us, but the crowd would and just do the dance behind and around him. Um, that was planned out. The fray one, where you, is that? I wonder if you've seen that. The, the last show of the fray, the fray had a disco ball that would come up every night, you know, at the end of the song. Okay. Yeah. He wrapped, we took that off while they were playing and wrapped one of our stage crew, um, Jeff Worth, um, in, uh, in those, those uh, silver space blankets. You know, we duct taped one of those around him and then covered his head and put him in a harness and hooked him up. And when the song happened, he just just (laughs) came up like this and was spinning and the light was on him. It was amazing. And then we had about 500 ping pong balls. uh, I remember that on each side. And as that happened, we just started firing ping pong balls like across the, the thing. So all that stuff's planned out. Okay, I'll, I'll let you in on, on one that no one saw. Um, <laughs> this is one of my favorite ones ever. And this was first tour, Addicted Tour. There were a lot of pranks in that. Because remember, they had just spent two years. They were done. They were finished. Yeah. This yep. tour was a 40-city victory lap, right? And it was also like a lot of, you know, new, new bands. Yeah, so for you, it exactly. was the same. It was, it was, it was brand new. I, yeah. it, I, it was, I was there, you know, I'm old friends with one of the guys there. He had just become great friends with them. And now he's in the band. You know, we're all excited about Zach Alford. And again, there's no pressure like this. They're not trying to sell this record. This is just going out and having some fun. Um, so there were pranks. Pranks started early on that tour. And one of the earliest ones, we were in San Francisco playing at that, you know, that cool, I can't even think of venue names. I'm thinking of people's names, which is weird. And never do that. <laughs> I can't think of any names. Um, so anyway, Chris Dye, who uh, I believe he's currently their production manager. Um, but at the time he was crew chief and was like Jason's guy. Jason used to bring a ton of stuff out like a Leslie and like all these keyboards and everything. So, um, so, and at the time, Chris's daughter was like three years old, right? He's going, he went to Chinatown to go and look for a nice, cute little dress, you know, for Annie. So, um, and so as the story goes, he brings the thing up to the counter, she's ringing it up. And as she's ringing it up, he looks down at the counter and sees a, a, a pile of playing cards. Um, but the playing cards are all um, naked um, men <laughs> with their, you know, yeah, members. Like, Stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So he's like, and these. <laughs> and this is the whole stack. So, so that, that tour the way it would start out, there was a screen across the, across the stage. The only people on stage were Corey and Kelly at the top of this big ramp. And it would start with the silhouette of Corey playing violin. And, yep. and it was all slow. And as soon as she, and the only other person that would 
be on stage, but he would go up a little later with Zach. He would get into position on his drums. And as soon as she was, it's like I can boosh, the the big giant suckers would suck that scrim up and we'd come out running, like playing the song. So they're doing the thing and the violin and everything else. And we're all standing back there and Zach goes and gets on his drums and we see him like, like this. And he's just laughing his ass off. I'm like, what is going on? So it's like, I can and we're in and the thing comes up and we walk out and all of a sudden we realize there are naked dudes playing cards everywhere. Like (laughs) all of Zach's drums, every, every (laughs) stand, our guitars, each the battery packs, every pedal on the floor. You had no idea. You had no idea. idea. And the funny thing is every time you change a guitar, a new naked guy would show up somewhere (laughs) like on it. And so the whole show, we're all, whoever's lucky enough, like me, uh, Jimmy, Aben, Corey, to be able to run around, like we're just discovering new, you know, Johnsons, <laughs> like for the entire night. And they even went as far as to pre-check because we had, I had giant iMac screens and cameras. You know? Yeah. The last thing that Kelly needs is like a lawsuit from somebody accidentally showing a big dong on this stage, you know? So, <laughs> so they actually worked it out with the camera crew. Like, look, here's where you can't go. Here's, you know, and, uh, and the, the, whoever's directing the, the, the director that was behind there, like switching from camera to camera was like, you know, making sure that wherever he's switching to live didn't have a, uh, compromising photo, but it was so funny. Um, it's great that they didn't put one on her mic stand. That would have been very problematic. <laughs> but the, the the final one for that one was also one of the best and most thought out pranks ever. Am I going too long on this? No, no, no. You're okay. fine. You can go as long as you like. Yeah. You can go as long as you like. So later into that tour, I think I might have been the first one that they did this to. Um, but about halfway through. So at the end of the show, it would start since you've been gone with Jimmy and Kelly all the way out by the front of house console, right? They would just appear and start that song off. And then when it got to the chorus, band would kick in. And so two of our crew guys would usher them quickly back through the venue, back to the front of stage and get them on stage. And once they got on stage, those two crew guys would split off on the side. And so I, since Jimmy was out there, I was, up stage left in his position for the opening of that song so when they one time when they split off i think it was chris die um just sees me as he's coming to get off stage and something just compelled him to just pick me up and take me off the stage and into the (laughs) loading dock um you know i'm wired what was like the what was like the audience reaction to that well i mean you know the out of 20,000 people, maybe the like 14 that were looking at me at the time, probably thought it was weird, but you know, um, I don't think it was that big of a deal. Maybe, I, well, I like to think like the whole crowd was like, oh no, what's gonna happen? Yeah, like, he's getting abducted. Yeah. Anybody else just yeah. see the bassist get kidnapped? Yeah. <laughs> so then, you know, I'm wired and it's hilarious and I'm cracking up and ran back. So then after that, every show they started picking a new person to pick up and take off stage. Not every show, but every now and then. Well, then 
the last show, there's only two people that they hadn't gotten, Kelly and, uh, and the drummer. Um, Naturally. So, right. <laughs> um, so we start that song. They're out there. The first prank that happens is as soon as we hit the normally two giant confetti cannons shoot enough confetti for 20,000 people into the crowd. Not tonight. On the final show, those confetti cannons were pointed in. And so when they went <laughs> off, they just hit us like a ton of bricks and <laughs> was like, you couldn't see. It was a wall. I mean, it's enough to fill a stadium, but now it's on a 60 foot wide stage. Um, oh, no. So that was hilarious. So they come running on stage. And the crew guy that you that was taking me off, he comes toward me and power slides down on his knees while I feel somebody from behind me grab me like this. And my arms are like this, but I'm still like down here like playing. Yeah. And he's power sliding in because he pulls out a pair of snips and goes bip, bip and snips two of my strings. Um, <laughs> so now I'm like, <laughs> You're like, great, I have to finish the song. So, but whatever, we know it's, you know, going to be a catastrophe for the rest of the song. So everybody just power through it. <laughs> Um, and as they're running around, we realize, oh, they grab the other, the other guy that goes the other way, grabs Kelly, puts her, her over oh. his shoulder. She's singing like this. <laughs> her off the back of the stage, puts her in a truck and shuts the door. <laughs> what? Yeah. See that people are watching she's, and they're like, what yeah, they're the like, hell just happened? Going on? And she's laughing on the microphone and throws the door up and comes back running around. But, we're, but then all of a sudden we look and there's two crew guys sneaking up behind Zach, the drummer on his riser as he's playing. Now he's not wireless. He's plugged into a, a, his wired into a little mixer behind him. One guy pulls his ears out and another guy grabs him and just picks him up off his, <laughs> off his stool and walks off the stage with him. But the crazy thing is the drums didn't stop. I was going to say, you need, you still need the drums. That's the obvious part. That's going to be. So my initial reaction was to look at Jason to think that maybe he like was in on this and like started like some tracks or something when they picked him up. Right. He looks at me like, what is going on? And then we all kind of look to the wings, stage right wing. So for that tour in the middle of the set, we would do this broken down, like swamp looking thing. Right. And we had yes. that we called the mobilator that would wheel out for that, that had a little drum set on it, a stand-up bass for me, and a little, uh, a little organ for Jason. They had choreographed this ahead of time to where as soon as they gave the signal to pick, uh, to pick uh, Zach up off of his drums out at front of house and at monitors, those guys just disabled his drums kit and enabled the mobilator drum kit and Zach's tech. <laughs> was on That's br- that is like brilliant that this did not fall he, apart. Oh my Cause God. even like his techs over there at B kit, just like, okay, I got it from here. Let's just go. Yeah, we all look and Pete's just knocking it, just laying it down. We're like, oh my God. Um, so yeah, that was a very, very involved and intricate orchestrated, orchestrated thing. thing. Yeah. But you know, I love that things. Okay. The, a- Aben was probably the best individual 
at doing these. And there is a clip somewhere. I've seen somebody post it before. I can't remember whatever the, the tour was that we were playing, uh, tie it up, you know, that the country song. Yeah. Oh, that may have been Honda civic tour. Oh, you know what? I think you're right. I think it might One have day just for kicks. And he thought of this in catering. He was catering, oh, no. and he saw the the person like there was like some raw garlic and like a little thing like in the salad bar thing, right? And somebody was refilling that, and he just had a stroke of genius. Um, and I was like, "Hey, you mind if I get a handful of those?" And they're like, "Sure." So he gave him a handful of raw garlic. He immediately ran to Mark, our tech that we that that took care of both of us. I was like, "Hey, put this in a Tupperware thing." hide it in your in your work box you know there's a need to know basis and uh <laughs> yeah kind of thing <laughs> so anyway unbeknownst to any of us so before tie it up i can't remember what the song was but whatever it, whatever it was aben was off stage for that song and this is why he planned this out and in the song tie it up we would we would on the on the woos um yeah we would do that on one microphone so there's a clip out there um, that's just like, I'm feeling it out. You can see in my eyes. I'm like, man, I'm awesome. Um, and go to the thing to sing the woo. What I didn't know was on the previous song, and this is a dedication that Avon has. On the previous song, <laughs> he went off stage, got that Tupperware of raw garlic, stuck it all in his mouth <laughs> and straight face kept it in there for at least three, four minutes. Oh, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> just waiting, waiting, waiting until that moment where I walk over to do the woo. And right before that, he just starts chewing and just getting it going. <laughs> oh my and God. instead of going woo, he just goes. <laughs> my face. And if you see on the clip, I'm like coming over. And it's like somebody like hit me with a left hook. Um, it was really and of course, no one, no one watching is no one watching this. What the hell? Just no one on. knew what happened. The only person that knew it was going to happen was his brother Weiss, who was in charge of filming everything and to make sure that he got that. I think Kelly actually posted that as like a preview of tour pranks or something like that. Um, oh, that's well, great! As suddenly, when we hang up here, I need to go find that because yes. I did not know. I did not know that story. It's really, it's it was a really good one. That's one, that's one of his best. We we need to talk to Aben again because we did not know that he was so sly with the tour pranks. We need to know what else he maybe planned that didn't actually happen. Man, yeah. Well, and the Reba tours that we did, I tell you the 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 true Yoda of tour pranks is Jeff King, guitar player from Reba's band. Um, because he I can't remember if it was the first or the second night that we played with them he super glued all of Aben's picks to the to the stage <laughs> where, he was, where he was keeping them yeah oh yeah he put a toilet seat uh in place of uh Bruce Bowden's um steel guitar chair one night um oh my god that's amazing yeah yeah he'll Aben would probably say the same thing he'd probably say I'm nothing compared to Jeff <laughs> uh well Anar, it was it was actually a really nice surprise uh not long ago we were watching the kelly clarkson show and out pops Anar Dude. to play forever young by rod stewart how about that yeah well i guess like jason 
sent me a, a text. I guess it was uh, October sometime. He was like, hey, Kyle's going to do like a month of shows um, and we're going to have some guest bass players. Um, you want to come do tape a couple of shows? And and I think my response was something like, you know, of course, yeah, it'd be fun. Um, but who else? So who, who else is doing it? you know thinking it's going to be like one of my friends maybe from that time and he sends me a picture and it's him and nikki six and i was like yes <laughs> okay um anyway no yeah he was like man that's great I'll, he was like come for two days and i'll put you on four shows so i'm on that's I'm on great. four episodes they already actually aired i think they might have already aired um yeah all of them oh yeah. shoot i'm not good on my I'm one of them uh they had Corey come in because the the kelly Oki request was boston more than a feeling so he came in so there'd be the harmony right. guitar solo um, yeah but yeah that was super fun because i haven't seen any of them and i think it'd been like five years so oh my gosh awesome. has it been that yeah. long and so when I love the I love the comment that Kelly made when she came out uh, after the Kellyoki was over and she mentioned because she made special mention of you being in with the band that day. And she said, you know, I, I saw it when you guys were out, you know, backstage on the soundstage. And she says, I ran into Anar and I thought, am I on tour? Because <laughs> and I thought the same thing. Because it's like I see you performing with the band and just instantly my mind just my mindset just goes, oh, we're out watching tour because the gang's all together. Yeah, no, it, it was weird because I when I I got I had to get there like an hour early because I had to do a, a, a COVID, you know, sure jab. That's the times we are yeah. living in right now. So I was hanging out, waiting for to be cleared to walk in. And I think I was like, you know, probably like looking at Instagram or something. And then I see Kelly and Trisha and um, uh, the director of the show I, who I just met. Um, oh, Alex. I think that's, that's what, yeah. They come around and it was really funny. I hadn't, you know, hadn't seen them in, like I said, like five years. Um, and... Kelly's talking to Trisha and she looks and she goes, Oh, Hey, what's up, Anar? And starts talking to Trisha again and goes, Anar. But did, did she have any idea you were going to be there? She did, but she said the same kind of thing right then that she did on the show, which was like, man, I just got the weirdest sense of like, you know, how long has it been? It felt like I just saw you yesterday and I was just starting to think like, what time is the show tonight? What, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we? Right. Um, so, and that was nice. That was nice to to feel like the you know, there that familiarity I guess was there enough to where it didn't seem like we hadn't seen each other in five years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just it was so like refreshing because I feel like a lot. I, I kind of what Jeremy said earlier. A lot of fans have seen you either live or on YouTube, whatever, for years, and it's just it was so nice to see a familiar face. Oh, I love and, that. You know. Definitely hoping to see you again um, on some future episodes. Um, yeah, no, that was really fun. It was nerve wracking. Yeah. It was like so many little tiny, like 10 second songs that you just kind of have to like, oh, wing. And, yeah. 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 Um, to ra- so to wrap things up, we are, we got a couple of fan questions. If oh, yeah, you yeah. don't mind answering a few of those. All right, cool. So the first one that we got was from Stephanie. And I actually really like this question because this could be from not just your time with kelly this could be from anywhere anyone you've played with what is your favorite venue to play oh uh uh manchester apollo 
in Manchester, England. Really? Nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, it probably has a lot to do with um, with just circumstances surrounding that particular day, the first time I, I played there. But but I will say every time there, there's just something about that place that was always just really, really fun. It's a crazy thing. To say. There's, there's so much history there. Um, there's a thing about uh, about uh, the English venues that is a little bit different, I think. And I would I saw it every time we played there. The first time, right in front of me, off stage, two kids. Uh, one's got a Slipknot shirt on, and the other one had a, <laughs> uh, had a uh, uh, not a Katy Perry shirt, uh, but another pop shirt. And, right. And, and both of them were in the right place. Both of them were singing along both, you know, and they probably would both be singing along at a Slipknot show too. It just really felt like kids are just up for it. Like whatever's coming, we're going to see it. Um, but that was, that was just always a really special place for some reason. Yeah. Did you know, like prior you ever going to Manchester, like, well, yeah, you, you, it was when you were there, yeah, that's when you because, noticed, you know, I mean, that's a place where all of my, like my favorite, like bands, like, you know, from like the nineties when I was like in my twenties, um, you know, Oasis and, um, Ugh. you know, uh, Stone Roses and like all these bands like that, you know, all sort of held the Manchester Apollo in high, high regard. So, um, getting to be a part of that and, and, the, and the, yeah, and there's, you just feel the history in that place and, and it's just crazy characters that work there with awesome accents um <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but awesome. then you know but then at, at the same time I, I don't know if i've felt quite a like uh walking on the stage at radio city musical um i was wondering that yeah. i've i've seen you guys play there a few that times a, and even just being in the audience being in the audience to see that was just oof, i bet that place is so beautiful and yeah walk just like there was nothing on it yet just walking onto that stage and like yeah there is a speaking of reverence like that was a huge feeling of in that place yeah yeah so, so many like bucket lists like oh my god like I'm, I'm madison square garden like what i'm in madison square garden like right now i'm on stage <laughs> yeah uh, our friend yoel asked a question about and you've obviously done a, a, a ton of different covers but uh, did you have a favorite that you got to do i mean when you when you found out early on that you were going to be doing a certain cover at that night's show, did you just think to yourself, yes, I've wanted to try this one or I wanted to, I've wanted her to do this or I've wanted to play this. Was there any that sort of stood out to you? I mean, I think it probably stands out just because it stood probably why it, it stood out for a lot of people. I really like the one in Detroit. I really like that, that we did um, lose yourself. Um, oh my God. That was so much fun to watch, and, you know, because, because the fun, the, a really fun part about that gig um, is, you know, you're on stage with arguably one of the one of the best voices in the world, and so um, it's hard to it's hard to throw her a curveball, you know. So um, so that's a great example of her, you know being able to have fun with something outside of her comfort zone. Um, and then, but also like honoring it and kind of knocking it out of the park, you know? Yeah. yeah. Something totally out of like a normal element, but yeah, like, she even put on the hoodie and like completely, completely it. nailing it. Yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> it's the coolest yeah. thing. Like I would have never thought like seeing the headline, like Kelly Clarkson covers Eminem. And I'm like, 
what? But it worked. It worked. And I don't think she'd ever do it again. Maybe she would. I could be wrong, but it was incredible. It was so funny. That first time we were, the first year that we were doing that, we got so into it that we would just learn other songs at soundcheck just to do it, just to be weird and have fun. And and that turned into after that tour, um, I think it was my yeah, it was my December tour. Um, our end of tour party ended up being uh, a, our own karaoke of all those you know songs that we were playing. Um, and we put you up. Like, I, I would, I would do like a Motley Crue song, and then a Van Halen song, and then like somebody would like you know uh, Corey would do like a like a. Def Leppard song or whatever. Yeah. So it was fun. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so much fun. Um, what okay. So I want to know because obviously you've traveled, you're very well traveled with touring. What has been whether or not this was on tour or just like a one-off gig, whether it was like TV or whatever, what has been one of your favorite memories or like favorite like things that you've done with Saturday Night Live? Uh, yeah. Because you know, like bucket list. You, you watch all those shows. <laughs> Um, you know, all those late night shows, morning shows, the, all the places where, where bands go and, you know, we all, whether it's those shows or whether it's like famous people or whatever, you know, you got your idea of how you want it to, to be when you experience it. You just hope you don't get crushed. (laughs) Um, now usually that's the case, you know, usually it's, it lives up to what it, but th- but sometimes you get you get let down. Um, that show, man, is everything you want you you want it to be, um, and and more. There's so many things I didn't realize you get to participate in. Um, you know, like lunch. Um, <laughs> you know, you gotta go down there for lunch. two days when you're the musical act because you have a full day, like a like a ten hour day of of rehearsal on Friday, and then you're there all day Saturday to get ready for the night show. So whenever you break for lunch and dinner, you're going into the NBC commissary with the cast. This is so awesome. You know what I mean? Um, But the crew there, you know, um, sometimes union crews get a bad rap because like it's their house and you don't get to blah, blah, blah. Well, there's no bad rap about these bros because they, they've been there forever and they love talking about, they love answering your stupid questions about like, well, so where's the thing that this, Oh, well, come over here. Look at this. Um, yeah, so really, really fun. It's so small. The place is so it's small, because so you get to be, yeah. you get to feel the insanity that happens. I mean, it's crazy enough that you do, you know, you do two shows, actually. <clears throat> you do a, a early run through a dress rehearsal at like right. five. With one and you audience. have an audience for that. Yeah. Then they yeah. kick them out. And then, they, and then at, you know, at 930, they bring in another audience. And at 1030, that place just erupts. And you're in the middle of it because your dressing room <clears throat> where you're just staged is right there in the hallway that you see all those skits being performed and all this stuff. So, you know. You're constantly moving around, and when it's time to go play, you're like, "Usher up here, and you're right here, and three, two, one, you know, so much fun." It is. It's such an energy, especially because, like, you know, if you were to do like Fallon or Seth Meyers or any of those, like, um, if that's 
that's pre-tape. I mean, they don't want you doing it seven times, but like if you need to do a second time, like that's fine. But SNL, you are yeah, like, you have you, you know, do it, and if, one shot. if you mess up, good, sorry, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> sorry. Luckily, you actually play on Fallon. You would actually play on Letterman, and you play on Conan and all that. But yeah, you you're you have the luxury of of a net in case something goes wrong. Yeah, but not having that, um, and having that show truly be like live, live with it, um, and you never know what what could happen that's the first one i did when the first one was uh uh charles barkley was the host that was on the my december record right yeah we did we did never again and we did something older might have been might have been breakaway um or because of you something ballady anyway you know it's live live uh in new york in Eastern time, yeah. it's live, live in Central time, <clears throat> but Mountain time, I believe, definitely Pacific time. They can actually fix some things before it goes to air because of the time difference. I never thought but of you that. Can't no. replay right. anything. Everything that fixed has to be fixed with faders and you know from whatever was recorded. So what happened with with us on that night? We got done with the first song, and I remember. I think it was Jason got a text maybe from, from his wife or, or something. Uh, uh, and I remember uh, management getting uh, notified. Apparently what had happened was the recalls for the, you know, the, the desk that they're using has, you've got your never again mix. And then here we've got the mix for the ballad that we worked on the previous 24 hours. Well, when it went to broadcast, they had the wrong mixes up. So, um, so oh, the first song sounded really weird on the east on the east coast and, on, and in central. But by the time it aired on Pacific, they were able to run the same tracks through the desk again with the proper mix product. I mean, the beauty of that is, I feel like the majority of people, unless they are so in tune with this specific yeah. song, most people are not going to know the know. difference yeah. at all. That's no. kind of like being on stage and like you may you 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 hit a you hit a clam note. Like the only thing that's gonna give it away is whatever you do here. Like if you're like yeah. Ah, yeah. then people are gonna like he must have messed up. <laughs> but if you're still like I'm awesome, then they don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh one more question here from Anne. She says, What is the craziest perk of being a part of Kelly's band? Huh. Apparently giving away tickets to get free tea times is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great a great thing well and i think that's kind of that's probably it um because the i guess the wacky stories that i have about uh you know i could go on for forever about both of these things but but if i wouldn't have done that um i wouldn't have had a two-hour breakfast with duff mckagan at six o'clock in the morning at the, Shut at the up. Malmaison hotel in Manchester. That's England. amazing. I was going to play that gig. Oh my God. Cause we were the only two people awake at that hour having breakfast. And he asked me if actually he came in the little restaurant thing. I was the only one there and I got a tap on the shoulder and I look up and it's him and he goes, Oh, sorry. I thought you were my drummer and went and sat across the thing. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I got a pretty sweet jacket on, but I don't, how, how did you confuse me with, with Matt Storm. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, I've just started looking at the menu as if I'm a normal person and not completely shitting my pants. Um, 
And then he just kind of walks over and was like, Hey man, you want to have breakfast? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> he sat down and it was amazing. It was, he's one of the most inspirational dudes. Um, he really is. He, he really is. And we had a, a wonderful conversation um, that just blew me away about this guy's work ethic and this guy's hustle and his sort of refusal to like phone it in, man, that guy is a real deal. Um, but yeah, that was, that happened to be, it was the night after um, they, fi- they fired Scott Weiland the final time from Velvet Revolver. Oh, and it was like wow. two dudes yeah. like at five o'clock in the morning, like after gigs, like having, you know, eggs at a Denny's, like talking about like, oh man, I had to fire my singer today. Like, it's just surreal that I'm having but this conversation with this dude. Yeah. Um, I was like, it's such a big caliber. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, oh, fast gosh. forward a few years later, like it was a, you know, a perk directly through, you know, uh, through the Maroon 5 guys. But again, a perk that was the product of Kelly initially. I played I played golf with, with Joe Pesci one day. Nice. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> he rode in my cart. Um, oh, my God. You want to talk about a guy that is exactly who you want them to be when you meet them? Wow. Like, again, the sweetest dude, but the funniest guy um but yeah it's those those are the i mean those are the crazy perks from i think my time with with, with kelly if they're gonna if there's a if there's a perk it's like yeah yeah you never know who's gonna be like backstage at the kelly clarkson show um and that kind of stuff was just fun you know the reba tour that we did we, we were at, at some place reba and kelly and the, all our whole band a couple of her guys so we're just eating in a restaurant somewhere and i'm sitting next to reba and all of a sudden through the door of the room we were in comes this lady that sticks her head in between me and reba and it's judge judy who found out saw that reba was in there and i was saying hi yeah i'm sitting next to judge judy shut up she's like and you know she's really sweet and you know uh but yeah so being able to have those kind of stories you know I wouldn't trade that. I love that you mentioned Judge Judy. I literally texted Jeremy the other day. I don't know why. I was like, I had a dream last night that Judge Judy was a guest on the talk <laughs> show. I, that's just all I texted him. That's really funny you mentioned that. that. It was a premonition so of this story but, is what it was. Totally. Go. Absolutely. I totally knew. Reach out to JJ and see what you said. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, A&R, it has been so much fun to talk with you today. We really do appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, from speaking for the fan base, we just want to thank you so much for all of the incredible performances and all of the great things that you did with the band. Uh, you know, we 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 don't mince words when we say that, you know, there was a, a certain kind of conglomeration of the band that is really sort of considered, you know, one of the favorites. And you are certainly among that. And uh, it has been so much fun to to watch you uh, work with Kelly and, and now with the Fray as well, which is another band that I mean, I and I uh, I can probably speak for Pam. We both really, really love. So uh, it's been so much fun to to have you on today to talk about your time with Kelly. And uh, we wish you nothing but the best. We hope we get to see you again down the road, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. That that really warms my heart to know that like I'm like looked at as like a, a in that regard that. That's fantastic. Yeah. And the fray too. We didn't even talk about those guys, but those guys are fantastic. Yes. I, I love that gig. Um, and uh, you know, they're they've become super bros, which is great. 
Yeah. Just as what Jeremy said, thank you so much. I, I've been a fan of yours. I, I mean, the very first Kelly concert I saw, you were there and you were there for pretty much almost all the ones I've seen. And just, you've been such a staple and just so kind to fans and just so energetic. And I just, it's, it's really cool when people um, just take time to speak with us, getting just to hear the stories and behind the scenes and also getting to hear about you personally. It's just really exciting. So really, thank you so much for just taking, you know, an hour or two out of your day to talk with us. I know. This is great. I, I really appreciate it. You know, these, no, of course it, it, we all in, in this game need uh need a little sort of like, Hey, we like what you do. Yeah, yeah, a little you know? bit of the validation. Yeah, because <laughs> you know it's a never-ending sort of uh, fight to uh, you know to feel like you're relevant. So, so yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much again to uh, to Anar for for taking some time. And you know, I I can't understate it enough. Um, you know, I've I've seen more than my fair share of Kelly shows uh, throughout her career, and. I really did, uh, and I, I love. I've loved every iteration of the band. I mean, I don't want to, you know, discount any of the iterations of the band, but it really was. I mean, that was like, that felt like the most comfortable. Like it was like it was, this is my version of the band. It was, you know, the Corey, the Jill and Kate, the Abe and the Anar, the the uh, the Jason. Uh, every, I mean, just that band was so good. Um, when when they were on each and every night, I mean, when they were great, they were phenomenal. And uh, so it was so nice to to get a chance. And, you know, I've had a couple of chances to to talk with A&R uh, just in passing at shows, but it was really nice to sit down and actually uh, speak with him for a, a good long time and just a just a really, really nice cat. Yeah, I he was so, so sweet. And I, he is a great storyteller. Like, I mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I say this with each of each guest we have that has had some relation to Kelly, but. I love learning new things that go that go on, even if they're the most like minor stories or the little minor details. I just think it's really nice to hear their experience because everyone, whether you're touring or uh, on SNL or in the studio, whatever it might be, everyone who's involved in that camp always has different experiences and it's really cool to hear them. So I really appreciate it. And I love that we got some new stories too um, out of that. It's always nice when we feel like we get to kind of break the exclusive on some stories uh, that people don't necessarily know. Cause I mean, there's so many Kelly stories that we hear over and over again, but uh, the fact that he was able to bring some new ones, I love the playing card story. That one, that one had me cracking up. I was like, the playing card one was, fa- was fantastic though. I was, I was not expecting to hear that. So that was, that was great. I would um, love to go back and try to find some YouTube videos from that show and, and see if there's any tells, so to speak of, them seeing things that we don't normally see. So, yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, and even like the whole like Abe and garlic story, like if, if there are any yeah. stories that happen in the, this episode that like you immediately know where it is on YouTube, like definitely mm-hmm. send it to us because not all of them I know of. Yeah. Um, so if you have, if you maybe were at that show, you know, send us a link and uh, yeah, let us know what you thought of the episode. Um, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at miss into podcast. And we love to hear your thoughts. Um, if you've ever seen Anar live, what your favorite memory of him is, like, feel free to hit us up. We would love to hear that. And until next week, we will talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Bye. You've been listening to Miss Indie Podcast, the Kelly Clarkson fan podcast. Miss Indie Podcast was written and produced by Jeremy and Pam. 
Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you'll be the first to know when a new podcast is posted. Continue the conversation by following the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Miss Indie Podcast. Send us your questions and comments to missindiepodcast at gmail.com.